Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you. And for you who are visiting on college days, welcome. Welcome to the best campus in the world. Welcome to a group of students who are on fire for the Lord. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. Welcome. And for the students, God bless you. Welcome. It's a joy. I am probably the most saved individual that I know. Because I'm a preacher's kid who's been saved a hundred times. I kept getting saved because my dad kept preaching on the rapture. Jesus is coming and nobody's going. <laughs> Straight is the way, narrow is the gate, and nobody finds it. I was so afraid of the rapture because I would lay away at midnight every night thinking Jesus is going to come at midnight and I'm going to be left. I was in the same room with my two brothers, but that didn't help me because I knew they weren't going. <laughs> I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go in my parents' bedroom and feel on the bed. Daddy wake up and say, what's wrong? Nothing. Everything's okay. Just, just checking. <laughs> just checking to make sure you're still here. I was 12 years old when I finally nailed that fear to the cross. And I said, Jesus, now I've gone to the altar so many times. And I really meant it. But I was never totally sure of my salvation. And somehow God reached down and took all the fear and all the, red, all the reticence that was supposed to be there and turned my life, my life around. The age of 12 for me was a massive experience a year. It was also the year God called me to India and to missions. Charles Greenway was a missionary who came to my dad's church, and great missionary. He told the story of a 12-year-old boy who had no money to give in the missionary offering at the end of the service. And they were passing, at that time, we would pass offering plates. And they were passing the offering plate for the, the offering, missionary offering at the end of the service, and he outreached this 12-year-old boy. 12-year-old boy took the offering plate, and he said, Jesus, I don't have any money. I'm all I got. But you can have me. And they laid the offering pan on the floor and stood up in it and said, but you can have me. Then Brother Greenway said that was the best mission offering I've received in 60 years of the ministry. And when they passed the offering pan that night, I said, God, if that other little boy can do it, so can I. And I laid the offering pan on the floor, and I stood up in it. And the Holy Spirit said, David, I want you to go to India. I want you to go to India. And at 12 years of age, I heard the voice of the Spirit. And from that moment, I not only got ready to go to India, I began to give $10 a week was my faith promise at 12. $100, $500 a year. And that carried on and began to grow as the years went by. By the time I turned 16, I was given $100 a week, $1,200 a year to missions. At 17, I graduated from high school and began evangelism. I preached 400 times the year I was 17, 15 months of full-time evangelism.
And then God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Southeastern. I said, no, Lord, I'm going to India. I'm not going to Southeastern. I'm going to India. And God said, well, first you're going to Southeastern. And I said, well, God, I've got six months of revival meetings scheduled. I mean, I, I've got places to go. I've got things to do. i got to do. And God said, call those pastors and see how they would feel if you didn't come, but you went to Southeastern. So I called those pastors, and every one of them said, no, go. Go to Southeastern. I thought I was kind of hurt because I thought they didn't want me to come anyway. And so I thought, okay. So a week later, I showed up at Southeastern. I had preached revival meetings in the Lakeland area, and I had many contacts, including the registrar. And I walked into the registrar's office at uh, Southeastern and said, Brother, I said, I've come to go to school. He said, well, you got to fill an application. I said, I said, I don't need an application. I'm here. <laughs> and they said, we still have to fill out the application. I said, well, hand it over. It said on it, $50 deposit. And I said, sure, I got that. And uh, the registrar said, now, did you preach in Cairo, Georgia, two nights ago on your way down here? I said, yes, I did. I said, in fact, the $50 was given to me by Mrs. Wiggum, a Methodist lady who was in the Wednesday night service. He said, well, we got a letter from Mrs. Wiggum this morning and said, David's coming out of the Bible school and I'm underwriting his bill. It closes a $1,000 check and whatever's needed, let me know. He said, your, your bill's already paid. God is in this thing. And I say to the parents and I say to the students, God is in this. This is not an ordinary situation. It's a miracle situation. God will do miracles to meet you in every way that God has planned for your life. So the first year I was elected as president of freshman class, and we led a strike against the cafeteria. <laughs> I mean, the food was terrible. The food was terrible. I mean, we, God was blessing us, but the food was terrible. And they were charging lots of money for the food. We could go down to Morrison's downtown and eat cheaper than we could eat at the school cafeteria. Now, that was then. Now, today, the food is the best in all of our Bible schools have wonderful school. Now, they have wonderful food service here at North Central. But uh, Southeastern, was, it improved. And uh, things, things got better. And then my sophomore year, I was pre vice president of the, of the uh, student body. And then my junior year, I was president of the student body. And the, my senior year, I traveled for the college. Average preaching seven times a week while I was at Southeastern. And at 22 years of age, I took off to India. Graduated from Southeastern and went to Calcutta. And I look back now at those times. Now, I'm, today I'm 77 years old. And I was 12 when all this started. Now, that was 60 years ago. 60 years ago. That is absolutely wonderful when I think of it. And then 55 years ago and... Then 52 years ago to take off to India. I landed in India when I was 22 years of age. And Mark Montaigne met me at the airport. And the first statement was, hurry up, boy. You're preaching in 30 minutes. I just stepped off of a 36-hour flight. And in 30 minutes, I was in the pulpit. And I felt pretty good about it because it's just like my daddy. My dad lived the same way. My dad was a great preacher, great man of faith. I remember at 14 that... Uh, Dad prayed for a dead man, and God raised him not long ago, and it was a miracle of God. My dad was a great man of faith, and my dad loved to give. 
Half of everything that came into our churches went to missions. Because dad was a great believer in the miracles of finances. But he blamed. Now, my, my message tonight will be very brief but very important. Luke 6 26 and down over in 45. Given it shall be given to you, shaken together, pressed together. God will do the miracle. Give, and it shall be given to you. Down in verse 45, it says, And out of the abundance, out of the overflow of your heart, God will give through you. And I challenge you this morning, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, that's where God wants you to live. Not just barely, but out of the abundance and out of the overflow. That was my, my dad's ministry giving out of the abundance of his life. There were five of us kids in our family. And I look back and thank God, in my, the, the joy of giving, the joy of five kids learning how to give. Two of my brothers were military officers for, for 40 years in the aviation area of the Army. They flew, they flew helicopters in Vietnam and then later just were all kinds of involvement with the military and retired from the military. My sister is in Pensacola, Florida still. My youngest brother is a missionary and a heart for God and a heart for giving. And growing up in that kind of family was wonderful. And outside today, I want to mention to you, there's a book that we've just written. It's called Born to Give. And there's that, that door there leads to a table where there's uh, several hundred couple of hundred books that are available free of charge on giving to God. You just then go out and make sure and pick up one. If, if we run through, we'll order some more and send a few more of that. They'll be here next week. <laughs> God gives amazing. Now, being a, one of five in a preacher's family, which is very, very strict and very old-fashioned, Dad preached against television. Television, he said, is like a commode sitting in your living room. Flesh and sewage in the minds of your children. So we had to go to the deacon's house to watch TV. He <laughs> was a good deacon's. Because most of our life was church. Five services a week was normal. And uh, church was huge. It was important. And it was wonderful. I know I became a preacher at the age of five. Because that's when I did most of my preaching. Our cat died and we decided to have a funeral. And... Uh, I preached his funeral and had a wonderful time. We buried him. The next day was such a wonderful thing. The next day we dug him up and did it all over again. The third day we dug him up again. Mama caught us. He said, bury that cat and leave him in peace. And we did. But we had, heard, we had thought that the cat had nine lives. And we had planned nine funerals. And then Dad had a bunch of chickens out in the backyard Sunday night was a water baptismal service. <laughs> Monday morning, my brother, who was always leading me astray, said, the chickens aren't going to heaven, they haven't baptized. I said, I'll baptize the chickens. <laughs> we couldn't find a water, but Dad had a huge container of gasoline beside the house. <laughs> Dad came home that night, and he said, who killed the chickens? We said, we didn't kill them, we baptized them. He said, but you did have to do it with gasoline. And God took them to heaven, so... <laughs> <laughs> With childhood. 
probably one of the first people that I led to the Lord, and I didn't think very much of it at the moment, was when I was five and was visiting my grandmother in Columbus, Georgia. And uh, Sunday, the next-door neighbor who was an alcoholic came to the church on Sunday and gave his heart to Jesus. And they were all rejoicing because they'd prayed for this man for a long time. He said, well, he said, actually, Mrs. Bunn's grandson preached to me from the Chatterberry tree for two whole days. And I could not believe I couldn't stand it. I just had to come and get saved. <laughs> so start off in the Chatterberry tree. Start off wherever God leads you. God has his hand upon your life and has purpose, power, all that is there. Yesterday's message uh, was so marvelous, all of us, by my wife. And she wound up with saying, say yes. Say yes. Say yes to the call of God. Say yes to the, the quickening of the Holy Spirit in your life. Say yes to it. And I'm saying to you this morning, 12 years of age, I said yes to living in the offering pan. That I will never step out of what I stepped into. I had stepped in the offering pan and said, God, it's all yours. All the money, all the, all, all the anything that's there, it's all yours. And at 17, I made a vow to God. I said, God, I will not marry until I'm 30 years of age. At least, it'll be at least 30 before I'll even consider getting married. I will give you every day and every dollar for the next 13 years. And I did. And I can tell you sometime personally how actually that is accomplished, but I turned 30 and I had raised almost a million dollars a year during those 13 years. By the time I 30 came, I'd already given over $13 million from money that had been raised. I had no apartment. I had cars were given to me. I, I, I survived absolutely because given it shall be given unto you. Shaken down and running over the overflow life. And then I was turning 30, and I'd preached 150 youth camps. And I was preaching at a youth camp in Pennsylvania. And I walked on the platform and I said to the leader, Who is the young lady playing the piano? And he said, Her, her husband's leading the worship. I said, Story of my life. And the worship leader, great friend, we became good for buddies for two weeks of youth camp, and uh, his wife, Beth, they were four years married out of Central Bible College, went on staff at a church outside of Philadelphia. And Brian was a minister of music, music in the minister of youth, and Beth was the principal of the Christian school. I left that youth camp, went back to India, was gone for a year. During that year, my friend Brian Schaefer was killed in an accident. And Beth Schaefer became a widow at 25 years of age. I came back a year later, and someone told me that Brian has died. And I phoned Beth. I said, you know, I just heard that Brian died, and I'm so sorry. And I, 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 I just like to call occasionally. She said, sure, that'd be fine. A year went by, and... Uh, I would call occasionally and just say, how are you doing? How's things going? And soon the calls became more frequent. And uh, by the end of that year, there were 200 telephone calls. And uh, I was praying. I said, God, I'm turning 31. And my vow is over. 
and I'm ready to move forward in life. Just like many of you are in this, in this chapel this morning, you're at a stage of decision, and I'm saying to you, there's a decision that God will give you and give you confidence that you're making the right decision. And one night I said, Lord, I have never dated Beth. Haven't seen her in two years. In fact, but, but I really feel this strongly. And God said, she's the one. I called my dad. I said, I'm getting married. He said, to whom, pray tell? I didn't even know you were dating anyone. I said, well, I'm not, I've never dated her. He said, what is she like? I said, she's wonderful. He said, what does she look like? I said, she's beautiful, but I've never seen her again in two years. And she was married. The last time I saw her, she was married. He said, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> I hung up with Dad and called Beth. And I said, could we have lunch tomorrow? I'm in Dallas, Texas. She's in Philadelphia, and I'm leaving for India the next night. I said, I'd like to take you to lunch. She said, sure. So I flew into Philadelphia from Dallas, and that night I flew on to Los Angeles and flew to India. But the uh, first date, I proposed to her. I said, I know it's going to be strange, but I believe that something here is developing, and God's kind of behind this thing. And I said, uh, I just, I feel you know, I'm interested. She said, I well, you're entitled to your opinion. I said, okay. I said, I'd like to write to you, but I don't want you to write me back. I want to write and build a foundation of trust since Brian died two years ago. And build a new level of trust and see what God will do with this. She said, that'll be fine. And so for the next several months in India, I wrote her every day. She never wrote me once. That's the way women are. No. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not true. I, I couldn't avoid that. But I, I did all the writing. And uh, I told all my missionary friends in India and all the national leaders, because you know, in India, I was preaching three times a day, seven times a week. I mean, you know, tw 21 times a week. And uh, there's not a lot of time for anything except, but I had plenty of time for writing. I'd say, I'll be back with my wife in just a few months. Are you engaged? No, but I will be. And uh, give it shall be given unto you. And uh, I flew back to the States, straight to Philadelphia. Second date, I said, what do you think? She said, well, she says, this is highly unusual, but I believe God's in this. I said, amen. <laughs> and I will not put you under any pressure whatsoever. I said, but uh, you and I are scared you'll be back at India in three months. <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I won't put you under pressure at all. I said, but uh, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. And if I don't go and thousands of people die and go to hell. But this <laughs> I don't want to put you under pressure. So December the 22nd, 1976, which was 46 years ago, Beth and I married at the First Assembly. And there's, so we were married on the 22nd. And on the 26th, we preached at Michigan State Youth Convention. And uh, I could go on into other mistakes that I made the first few weeks of uh, thinking you just kept the same schedule. <laughs> and so we landed in India a week after we were married. And I stood in front of a crowd of 
probably 50,000 people. Many of them had been in other crusades I had preached. Many of them knew who I was. I'd been doing this for nine years. And uh, now I had brought a wife. They welcomed her warmly. And then I began to tell us as she was a widow. A shock went through that crowd because in India, a widow is a curse. A widow would never remarry. No one would marry a widow. No one. And here I have married this beautiful 27-year-old widow, and I'm 31. And uh, the crowd was so talkative, and I mean, thousands. And we just, he, he married a widow. He married a widow. After the service was over, the general superintendent of India came to me and he said, David, it's best you never, ever speak again that Beth was a widow. Let that be silent. I said, well, I'm speaking to the pastors tomorrow. He said, well, that's okay. You, you, you can share with them. The next morning, I looked out across 500 Assemblies of God pastors, and I said, I want to talk to you about widows and orphans. And I began to read scripture where God says, I will be the widow's husband, and I'll be the father of the fatherless. I will be the father of the orphan. And they're considered cursed in India. And I'll be the husband of a widow. And that's a curse in India. And the Holy Spirit fell on those 500 pastors. And all of us were slain to the floor. No one stood. Everyone fell to their faces. And they began to weep. And the Spirit of God began to burn. Two hours later, we began to stand up. And pastors begin to say, from this moment, the widow will be the most honored person in our church. And the orphan we will take care of because God is the father of the fatherless. Something happened 46 years ago in India that changed the face of the church. It changed the fear. It changed so much, many dynamics. And from that day on, they themselves would acknowledge that Bess was a widow, but that God was her husband, and that I had become her husband. Something wonderful began to happen. And then God gave us two daughters, and both of them are now missionaries, along with their husbands and our four grandkids. And I say this, because in this book, it talks about marrying a widow. It talks about how God brought miracles of direction and guidance in our own hearts and our own lives, in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit has used us in this 46 years. In the 52 years I've worked in India, it's been a time of scholarships because my whole heart was on young people becoming part of the ministry. And Southern Asia Bible College became my number one focus. I put millions of dollars into Southern Asia Bible College. We had over 5,000 young preachers in India graduate from Southern Asia Bible College. 5,000 scholarship young people that we helped to go through. 25 years, it was mostly opening Bible schools. We opened 40 Bible schools in India. And God began to, today, this morning, well, Sunday morning, a million of Sons of God believers will walk into a church in India. 10,000 churches today in India of the Sons of God. And a million believers now we got 1,500,000,000 people in India, so we are nowhere near even reaching India. 
But we do have a million believers. And we do have 10,000 churches and 10,000 pastors and several thousand Bible schools that we happen to go to Bible school right now in this time. Then 25 years ago, something happened, as you saw on the video. My wife and I were involved with the Teen Challenge Center in Bombay. And we were taken into the red light district next door where there were 100,000 girls who had been sold into slavery and sexual exploitation. We walked through at midnight and looked at 12 and 13-year-old girls standing in front of brothels, heavily made up, provocatively dressed, and their eyes were dead. They'd been raped so many times. So much had gone to life. And they had been sold. They were not their own people. Their eyes were dead. And God spoke to Beth and I through our tears and said, these are my daughters, and I want you to do something about it. At that time, that was not something that the church did. It was not something the church was so involved in. And so we began to say, something's got to be done about this. We came back to the States, and almost instantly, there were letters beginning to go to Springfield, Missouri, to central headquarters saying, this offering is for David Grant's prostitutes. And the executives called me in and said, what are you doing? What's all this offering that's going to you? Prostitution. I said, it's not that. It's that there's 100,000 girls in this area that need. He's the father. He's the father of the fatherless. He is the one who is not content that they live with suffering and struggle like this. God's going to do something. They said, okay, David, do the best you can. And so here we went. Project Rescue was started. And the first night in that area, many women came to Christ. And then they said, well, our daughters are in the brothel with us, and there's nothing we can do for them. We cannot leave, but can you take them to a place of safety? We said, yes, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, turn us, come to a certain place, and we'll find, with me, find a place of safety for your daughters. 37 little girls that night, 37 little girls were placed in our care, and we immediately found a safe place for them. That started where thousands and thousands of girls all over the world, you saw in the video, and you saw a very blonde-headed lady there. She is the head of our Project Rescue in Spain. Spain is the number one prostitution nation in Europe. And she is the wife of the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And she is the head of seven safe houses in Spain that is reaching out in Europe. God's doing some incredible, incredible things all along. And that brings us from there to now. And God has begun to say to Beth and I, along with President Scott Hagen and this North Central University, there are thousands of young people that need to go to college, Bible college. And a scholarship for them has become the focus of our life. The scholarship that, that, that Pastor President Scott Hagen has created is the Grant Pennington and scholarship. And he'll tell you more about that. But we are incredibly committed to seeing thousands of American young people graduate 
and come and find a way to have a, a powerful Bible school education and move out to do the will of God without incurring debt that will paralyze them for many, many years in their life. And I stand here tonight, or this morning I should say, and say, the reason I wanted you to pick up on these books is give and it shall be given to you. There's a miracle that can happen in your life. An absolute miracle. And that book will be one that will bless you. And I stand here to go as Pastor President Scott Higgins coming in just a moment to conclude this service. And to give you direction and guidance. But right now, I want you to join with me in saying, Lord, I will step into the offering plate. And you can take my life and do with it as you would like. Would you lift your hand with mine and simply say, Father, you are the father of the fatherless. You are the husband of the widow. You are the one that heals broken hearts and broken lives. But I put myself in the offering pan right now. I step forward and I put my feet in the offering pan and I promise that I will live in the offering pan for all my life. And now raise both of your hands and say, Lord, take these hands and use them for the glory of God. Turn the broken world of this generation in the power of Jesus Christ. I raise both hands and say, make these healing hands, healing hands, healing hands, healing hands, hands that heal the broken and the hurting, and that I will be equipped and anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost to have healing hands for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Come, President, but lift your hands once we went, give him praise and thanksgiving right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.